Oh, I also mentioned last Sunday night, I'll re- remind you, uh, all of the tithes and offerings from Sunday nights are going through the TV and radio. It looks like we're going to be on the radio. Lord willing, the funds have to be there, but it's neat for Sunday nights to be on the radio. Um, so that's, that's a neat opportunity, and it's a, it's a rather large radio uh, network um, where we have the opportunity. So pray about that. And, uh, but right now, are you guys ready? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and your ministering, and I ask God that you would help me to rightly divide your word, to give the truth, and uh, Lord, that we would get what we need from you, for your word gives us all that we need. Help us not to add or to take away from it. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. And by the way, we want to welcome everybody watching via video. Hi, everybody out there that's watching. And um, we have a a war going on between states right now because I've read some emails from Texas and so forth. And now there's another, some people from another state that have jumped in and they don't like Texas people, but they like Bible prophecy or something. But I forgot to read their email. Next week, I'll read that. No, next week, oh, I forgot this. Next week is Mother's Day. Okay, so here's the deal. We are not going to be meeting in here next week. And I hope you understand why. Uh, we did not meet last year on Mother's Day. I'm very thankful because it was just a couple weeks after that that Pastor Lane was tragically killed in, a, in an accident. It was his last Mother's Day to spend with his wife and his kids and the whole family together. And then Father's Day, we did the same thing. We skipped it. Now listen, um, uh, this is a Bible study. It's a blessing. It is awesome. And our moms are a blessing and so are our dads. And uh, so I'm going to encourage you next Sunday night, Bless your wife, bless your mom, bless your whoever, right? Family time, take advantage of it. Make sense? I mean, you guys are looking at me like I'm skipping church. I'm not. We are meeting Sunday morning, too. But I want to let you know, and anybody watching on video, so they're also aware, it's Mother's Day next week. Be a blessing to those that you love. We never know um, if this is the last time that we have to spend with each other. So take advantage of the time, all right? We don't skip a lot of Sunday nights, but Mother's Day and Father's Day are are two of them. So with that being said, uh, we're going to look at this, how to make sense of the apocalypse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, speaking of anything, that be sin, any weight, any encumbrance, any distraction, that may keep him from being a faithful preacher of the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote about those things, and he said this, He said, I discipline my body and bring it into submission, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Uh, That word disqualified in the King James Bible is castaway. So here's the thing. Paul the Apostle wanted to make sure that he was not a castaway set aside by God from preaching the gospel because of his own sin. The book of Revelation, however, was written by John the Apostle, and John the Apostle was a castaway. He was cast away to the island of Patmos, not because of his own disobedience, but because of his obedience to the Lord, men had cast him away to the island of Patmos. Uh, The the thought with John is all of the faithful disciples, apostles, were, were martyred. The attempt with John was to boil him in a pot of oil, and they put him in the oil, and uh, it didn't work. 
They pulled him out, and they said, well, let's just banish him to the island of Patmos. It's there on the island of Patmos that the Apostle John received the revelation or the apocalypse of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 4, chapter 1, verses 4 through 20, and we're going to learn how to make sense of the apocalypse. So a reminder we saw previously that the word revelation, it means apocalypse, or it comes from the Greek word apocalypse or apocalypsis, and uh, it, it simply means unveiling or revealing. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It tells us right there in the very beginning, first sentence, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of your Bibles, depending on what, uh, what, uh, what um, version it is, thank you very much, man, uh, may say the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Remember the term apocalypse does not mean doomsday. Hollywood wants you to think it means doomsday. It does not. It's, it's a Greek word meaning, again, the, the unveiling or the revealing um, is where we get our English word revelation from. So with that, um, let's remember this. We also saw this last time. I want to make sure as we go to the place of making sense of the apocalypse that we want to be educated, we want to be informed, we want to be encouraged, and we want to be ready. All right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to go through some questions and answers. I'm going to ask all of the questions tonight, and I'm going to give all of the answers. Now, when we're done, you can come up to me with your questions, all right? So first question is this. Uh, number one, who wrote this book? I have an idea. Chapter 1, second half of verse 1, And the Lord sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Uh, we find out that John is the one who wrote this book. So it's a really easy answer. The author is John, the late great president of Dallas Theological Seminary, John F. Walvoord wrote, as the opening verses of Revelation plainly state, the book was written by John from the first century to the present. Orthodox Christians have almost unanimously agreed that he is the Apostle John. Practically all scholars today who accept the divine inspiration of the book of Revelation also accept John the Apostle as its author. So the first question and answer, pretty easy. The Bible even tells us who it is, right? Second question, it's not very hard either. Uh, when was this book written? This book was written uh, somewhere between 90 and 95 A.D. in the first century on the island of Patmos. And we'll see, John will even mention Patmos in a few minutes. Now, both of these facts have been held as true by most Christians since that time. However, the date of 90 to 95 A.D., has been argued by those who are supporting uh, replacement theology, and they say, no, it was probably written uh, just prior to 70 A.D. or right around there. And they give various reasons for it, but I believe the main reason they say 70 A.D., because historians can point to the, gospel, to the book of Revelation, say, no, it's 90 to 95 A.D. The problem that they have is the 90 to 95 A.D. does not fit with the narrative of replacement theology. Replacement theology is that doctrine that teaches that the church has replaced Israel, replaced the Jewish people. So God made a covenant with Abraham that was for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants 
forever. It was an unconditional covenant. But those who believe in replacement theology say, no, they surrendered that when Jesus was crucified and Israel was replaced. It was an unconditional covenant. Israel was not replaced. God is not done with Israel. I'm a firm believer that the date was 90 to 95 A.D. And this date is affirmed in the writings of Clement of Alexandria and Eusebius and and many other early church fathers. Uh, The book was written by John on the island of Patmos. Patmos is a tiny Greek island in the Asian Sea, not far from the coast of Turkey. It's 40 miles from Ephesus. And Ephesus was John's adopted hometown, and it covers an area of only 13 square miles. It's a tiny island. Let's let John be out there. He couldn't be much harm to the world if he's just an outcast, a castaway on the island of Patmos, but it's there on the island of Patmos where John receives the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is instruction on the glory of Christ and who the book is for, and also instruction for how to live in the last days. It is one of the greatest proclamations, if not the greatest proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in the entire Bible. So I think it's interesting. Satan thought, we'll get rid of John, a place where he could be absolutely harmless, and he writes what becomes one of the most harmful books to Satan himself. And number three, here we go. This one's a little bit more involved. How do you interpret the book of Revelation? I think that is a great question. Because how you interpret the book of Revelation, man, that has got a lot of people confused. Now check this out. Chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to start off with something real simple. Chapter 1, verse 19. John is told this by the Lord himself. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So John is given... All types of visions signified with symbols and various things. So the Lord tells him, write them down, John. Look again. What you have seen, what would that be? Past. And the things which are, what would that be? Present. And the things which will take place after this. The book of Revelation, it gives us its own divine outline. When we get to the end in a few minutes, we'll look at chapter 1, verse 19 again. And I'll spell it all out for you. But it gives us the past, the present, and it also gives us the future. Now here's the deal. With the book of Revelation, because it uses such dynamic imagery, it's tempting uh, to read it as something that's completely separate from the rest of Scripture. But that is an error in interpretation. Uh, Just for the record, the book of Daniel also has similar types of imagery as some of the other Old Testament prophets do. So here's uh, something to think about when it comes to interpreting uh, Bible prophecies that have a lot of uh, uh, imagery like the book of Revelation. All right, now think of this. Uh, The infamous cult leader and serial killer, Charles Manson. Remember him? I think he's still around in some prison somewhere. Man, I remember as a kid, our family's coming back from Yosemite when all this went down with Charles Manson. We were driving down from Northern California, coming back to Southern California. I'm thinking, man, this is crazy stuff. It's on the radio. And man, it was nuts. But um, Charles Manson believed that Revelation chapter 9, think of this, was a picture of his own vision of what he called Helter Skelter. Uh, a race war 
that would end with him and his band of followers ruling the world. He said he received this vision while listening to the Beatles song, Revolution 9, right? Which was on the White Album along with the song, Helter Skelter. It's widely hailed as the worst Beatles song, and some say the worst song of all time. So here's a rule of thumb. To interpret Revelation, don't use bad Beatle music. It's not going to work. So what do you do? How do you interpret Revelation? A, use the plain meaning of terms where possible. That's simple, right? B, use the rest of the Bible and Revelation itself as context. That means let the Bible interpret itself. Uh, For instance, Revelation makes several references to a dragon. Well, who is the dragon? Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 tells us, when you read the dragon in the the Bible, Revelation 20 verse 2, he laid hold, that would be the Lord, laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So when you read a term like the dragon, you start thinking, oh, I've seen him in in, in, the, in those pictures and this crazy dragon and he's breathing fire. What's the imagery? Jesus tells us in the Bible. He's talking about Satan. The serpent of old. What else should you do? See? Look at the obvious. An example of the obvious. John, the apostle who wrote this, was a real man. You are real men and real women. I don't think there's any aliens in here right now. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Patmos was and is a real place. While there, Jesus Christ, someone John had known personally during his ministry on earth, who was a beloved friend and mentor as well as Lord, God, and Savior, literally appeared to John. Jesus literally gave messages to seven churches that were in Asia Minor. John had a real history that was known to his readers and gave credibility and context to this amazing document. John had been called personally by Jesus to follow Jesus. He was not just a believer and disciple, but an apostle. John was an eyewitness to the miracles of Christ. John was an eyewitness to the crucifixion and death of Jesus. John was an eyewitness to the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. And now he is suffering persecution because of his faithful witness for Christ. This book is a documentation of the things this trustworthy man saw and heard. So here's the deal. The book of Revelation is meant to be understood, not misunderstood. Do not make the book of Revelation harder than it is. I'm going to tell you something. Here's, real, here's a hint, all right? Don't get weird when it comes to the book of Revelation. Listen, here's a fact. If you get weird on this book, this book is going to get weird on you. All right? Don't get weird on it. Mentions a dragon. It interprets who the dragon is. It tells you the dragon is Satan. Don't start doing what so many people have done in the past. Charles Manson. Very bad, right? There are cults. There are crazy teachings out there because they don't make sense of this. In fact, what they don't do is they don't apply common sense. 
You want to understand the book of Revelation, apply these four principles, this fourth one, D, apply common sense. There are those that see the events of Revelation as past events, stemming from Rome's siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I already mentioned that. Uh, Replacement theology. But I want you to think of this. As we go through the book, think about just how dishonest it would be to say that the glorious and astounding events and the return of the Lord and His defeat of Satan and on down the list, uh, they're just poetic thoughts. That would stink. Because I read the book of Revelation and it makes sense. I can say, woohoo! Man, I can see how it's all coming. And Jesus wins. But just to think, these are just poetic thoughts. God wanted to give us a book that has no purpose? That makes that 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 makes no sense. And from the prophetic side, saying these things were actually fulfilled in 70 AD when Rome sacked Jerusalem. It would then be a prophecy of a past event. So how does that work? Right? So you start looking at this. Uh, many of the things described in the book of Revelation were not even invented or thought of in the first century. In fact, many of the things that we are going to see throughout the book of Revelation weren't even available until 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Now they make sense. Number four, this is the last question, and then we're going to start getting into some of the other stuff. Why is the book of Revelation necessary? Well, A, you ready? Why is it necessary? A, uh, we learned that Christ really will come again. I I like that. Uh, Revelation is a necessary part of the New Testament because it pulls into focus an understanding of how Christ will fulfill those Old Testament prophecies that He did not fulfill in His first coming. In the four Gospels, Jesus clearly taught that He would return. And that the prophecies of the Messiah were split into two parts. I'm going to give you an example. Alright, I want you to think of this. Book of Isaiah. Uh, Much of the book of Isaiah is dealing with the prophetic things that happen during the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus is conqueror, right? He's ruling. He's, He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Much of the book of Isaiah deals with Jesus as conqueror. However, Isaiah chapter 53 shows us another side of the Messiah when He is the conquered one. He is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Isaiah 53 portrays two different pictures of the Messiah. A crucified Messiah, and yet at the same time, a conquering Messiah. How do those work? Well, we know. Jesus came the first time it was crucified And Jesus is coming again. Revelation helps us connect those dots. Let me show you this too. You can turn here if you want. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus says this. Chapter 4, verse 16. You guys listening? No. Then how did you say no if you weren't listening? (laughs) So he came, Jesus, to Nazareth. You were just being a smart aleck. That's what my granny used to say. So Jesus, he came to Nazareth, chapter 4, verse 16 of Luke, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, 
he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, chapter 4 of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, pro excuse me, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now, now I find this interesting, and, and here's why. Because this prophecy, Jesus didn't read all of it. What he just read, he, he proclaimed it was him. All of those things. That's what he did in his first coming. He closed the book. And in Isaiah, when you read it, it says the exact same thing. The Messiah will come to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where he stopped in Luke's gospel. But Isaiah continues, in the day of vengeance of our God. It's the, it's the, uh, <coughs> two, uh, it's the two prophecies of the Messiah that he would come the first time as the suffering servant to pay for the sins of the world. He would come the second time as the great conqueror. A revelation is necessary in the same way that Genesis is necessary. We need to know how it all began and how it will all end, or rather, will continue into eternity. Uh, these two books, Genesis and Revelation, form the context of the Bible, of human history, and our own lives. Um, chapter 1, verse 19, right? We have our own divine outline. Write, John, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which will come to pass after this. Here's the deal. When we get to chapters 2 and 3, we are going to make sense of churches in the days of John and in the day today. They're still the same. They operate different. We have air conditioning. We have cushy seats. They didn't have that kind of stuff back then. But churches and people in churches are, are the same. We're going to get a look at churches, why people go to churches, why some people in church are faithful, why some people in church are lukewarm. And Jesus says, I will spew you out of my mouth. We're going to see those things when we get to chapters 2 and 3. And then we're going to be raptured. Woohoo! Maybe it'll be September 23. Who knows? Uh, we're going to be raptured. We're going to go into the presence of the Lord. And in chapters 4 and 5, we are going to see some of the craziest imagery that you have ever seen in your life. And then we're going to get to chapter 6. That is when all hell breaks out. Literally, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and and the stars are falling from the sky. The asteroids are plummeting the earth. Massive earthquake. All of the really horrific, frightening stuff starts in chapter 6. You get to chapter 10, you get a little bit of a break. Chapter 11 picks up again. There's a temple that's rebuilt. You go to the time of the mark of the beast. And you go right on through these massive judgments that are coming. And then we have this new world order that's formed. And Jesus crushes it. And it's awesome. And then he rules, he comes back at, at the time of Armageddon, and he rules and he reigns from Jerusalem, and then we go on into the millennial kingdom, and it's going to be great. But we get this. The book of Genesis tells us how it all began. The book of Revelation tells us how it's going to end, and takes us into the millennial kingdom, how it is going to be forever. Um, why is the book of Revelation necessary? B... It demonstrates the magnificence of Jesus like no other writing. It is what it says in the first verse, the revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Revelation from beginning to end is a call for holy living and full-on commitment to Christ. 
Now look at this. Revelation chapter 1. I told you we'd eventually read tonight. Revelation chapter 1. You ready? Look at this. Verse 4. John. To the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Wow. This book is all about Jesus. Again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. We start getting the picture of that right here in this place. John lets us know that he is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. By the way, when people read he's the firstborn from the dead, they think cults have started over this. They think, okay, Jesus is the firstborn son, and then God had a bunch of other kids. There's some that believe that Jesus is one of God's sons, and, and uh, Lucifer was one of God's sons. Uh, and, and these crazy doctrines are out there. That is not what the term firstborn means. In this text, it's a translation from the Greek word protokosis, and it signifies priority. He is the first risen from the grave. He is the preeminent one. Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead with an everlasting glorified body. He is the preeminent one among the resurrected. He is the firstborn in that sense. Make sense? He's the ruler, John writes, over the kings of the earth. The one who loved us and washed us uh, from our sins in his own blood. Who made us kings and priests to his God forever. Who deserves and will receive glory and dominion forever and ever. And he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. When Jesus came the first time, it'll be it's completely different from what's going to happen when he comes again. When he came the first time, he was born to an obscure couple in an obscure village called Bethlehem and laid in a stable. When he comes again, it ain't going to be like that. When he came the first time, he was the lamb who was slain. When he comes back, baby, look out, we are coming with him. And it's going to be good. Verse 7 says, they, they will see him that they pierced. And they will mourn. What's that from? It's from here. Zechariah. Check it out. Zechariah. I know I have it marked somewhere in my Bible right here. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour, God says, on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they pierce. I find that interesting. God says, I will pour out the spirit of supplication and they will look upon me. Whom they pierced? Who was pierced? Jesus. God is, it, it, the, the Lord is saying, Jesus is God, the Son. Wow. Use that with some of your friends and say the Bible doesn't teach that. Grace and supplication. Yes, they will look upon me whom they pierced. He was pierced at the cross, right? 
Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Uh, and look at this uh, here in the book of Revelation. This is what we just read with the Lord Jesus Christ. That uh, every eye would see him. They would mourn over the one who pierced. Where did that come from? It came from the book of Zechariah. The book of Revelation will be interpreted by the rest of the Bible and by the book of Revelation itself. And things start to make sense. I want to show you something else. This is bonus points. This is not in my notes, but I'm going to show you, all right? I want you to check this out. Please turn to the left in your Bible. Now, remember this. Uh, Jesus says here, or right here, we are, we are just told where John read, or John wrote, and he said, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Turn in the left of your Bible to Acts chapter 1. Check this out. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 4, all right? Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Against, uh, again, these are bonus points. So if you read this with me, you're going to get an extra points when you stand before Peter on that great day at the pearly gates. Well, I don't know if there's any truth to that. But still, and being assembled together with them, this is the apostles, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, look at this. I want you to look at this question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Notice they say, is it now, Israel? Are you coming back now? To conquer, you died as the Lamb. Is it going to be now, Israel? This is another refutation against replacement theology. He doesn't say, I'm not restoring Israel. He just says, it's not for you to know when. Wow. But it continues. But you shall receive power. Just, just wait. Just wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In other words, be witnesses until Jesus comes. All right? Now look at this, verse 9. Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Huh. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, that be two angels, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, look at verse 11. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So what did they see? They see Jesus taken up in the clouds. What they're saying, look, guys, stop standing around. Right? Go out there, be witnesses. Jesus, as you saw him going to the clouds, baby, he is coming back again. He is not going to be in a manger next time around. He ain't coming to Bethlehem. Every eye will see him, and they whom they who pierced him. And look again, Revelation, and they will mourn. Why will they mourn? Two reasons. One is, we saw it, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Is this too much information for y'all? Okay, good, because I have a lot more to, to get in in the next 15 minutes, and I think I'm going to make it. Um, the Jews are going to mourn, Zechariah chapter 12, because they're going to realize that day, this is at the end of the tribulation period, that they were fooled. They missed Jesus in his first coming. Here's what happens right now with the with Jewish people as a whole. This is in general, all right? 
there's some Jews who come to faith in the Messiah. They're known as Messianic Jews, and there's more and more all the time. But Romans chapter 11, verse 25 tells us that until the time of the Gentiles is full, blindness in part has happened to Israel, right? Here's the problem that a Jewish person has today. And you've got to think through this because it makes a lot of sense. For a Jewish person to admit that Jesus is the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, is the Messiah, means that they have to admit that it was because of the Jewish religious leaders that they crucified their own Messiah. That is a heavy thought. And to be able to admit that, the more you know the Bible as a Jewish person, the more convicting that becomes. But during the tribulation period, the tribulation period has two primary purposes. It's God's wrath upon an, a, a wicked world that has rejected him. It's his judgment upon them. But it's also a time where he shakes up the world, but he wakes up the nation of Israel. He wakes up the Jewish people. And in this, for the end of the tribulation period, the Jewish people are going to look up. They're going to mourn because they realize we blew it. But in that, all Israel will be saved, right? In that sense. Those who are alive, the Jews who look up at that time, will be saved. So they mourn because they realize they blew it. However, the others mourn. You want to know why they mourn? They're going to see Jesus coming in the clouds, and they're going to mourn because they're going to realize their wickedness is done. Their evil is all over. Um, he's going to put a stop to their evil. Uh, listen, um, Daniel chapter 12 talks about the last days where those who are wise will understand but the wicked will do wickedly, right? They're going to increase in their wickedness in the last days. It'll be like the days of Noah. It'll be like the days of Lot, right? Now check this out. I'm going to show you something. This is another bonus point. Ready? Proverbs chapter 29. I think it's chapter 29. It is chapter 29, verse 18. It's a verse that you probably have all heard. Ready? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. New King James Bible says this. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, when the, where there is no revealing, unveiling, the people cast off restraint. Um, but happy is the man who keeps the law. Uh, other translations say when there is no vision, right, the, uh, it, it's the people cast off restraint. I love another translation because this is exactly what it means. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people of the world are not going to want to hear about the prophetic things that Yeshua HaMashiach, that the Lord Jesus Christ is returning. Uh, they want to cast off their restraint. All of a sudden, they are going to see him. They will mourn because they know that it's, it's game over, baby. Well, I look at what is going on in this world right now, and I think there's some really horrible things that happen. But when the rapture takes place and there is no restraining force, wow! Um, it's going to be awful. Back in Revelation chapter 1, I promised you I'd get through this. We're going to get through it quickly. I know it. I can feel it in my bones. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega. Plus, I don't have many notes left. 
I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus speaking of himself. Says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus refers to himself as either the Alpha and the Omega or the beginning and the end, a total of nine times in the book of Revelation. It is a title of God from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. This verse, Isaiah 44, verse 6, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, is a problem for people that say, Jesus is not God. If you know somebody that's in a cult, you say, uh, what's Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 say? It says this, who's saying that? Jesus. Well, what's that title? The Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, that's for God. It's a stumbling block. A problem for those who refuse to admit that Jesus is Lord, yet they say they believe in the Bible. Uh, verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom uh, and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment, <coughs> excuse me, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Well, we look here, verse 10. Eight, yeah, it's right. And we're going to get more, yeah, in just a minute. Verse 10, it was Sunday. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is Sunday. The Sabbath is the Sabbath. That's Saturday. Sunday is the Lord's Day in the New Testament. He says, I was in the Spirit. It shows that th this was a sober and divine event, not a product of a wild imagination or extra spicy pizza the night before, whatever it was. John was supernaturally transported out of the material world, and the Spirit empowered him to see and perceive the revelation. Verse 11, I'm writing to the seven churches of Asia. That'd be Asia Minor. Uh, that's modern-day Turkey. We'll get into that when we get to chapters 2 and 3. But I find this passage quite enlightening, especially when connected with the Old Testament, where in Daniel chapter 7, the Bible says, uh, Daniel right now was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Look what Daniel's writing about. When you read the book of Revelation, you go, that was already in the Old Testament. You're going to see it repeatedly. That was in the Old Wait a minute, we were told all these things before. Revelation puts it all together. It reveals it, unveils it for us who are living in the last days. Oh, he's coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought Him near before Him. God, the Father and God, the Son. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in His kingdom, the one which will not be destroyed. I say amen to that because there are you and me and anybody who believes in Jesus Christ that go through trials. And there's the pressure to have doubts. 
and start to think, well, is this really going to go this way? Is this really going to be forever? I'm not so sure about this heaven stuff. I'm not so sure about this. And then we read this and we go, wait, Lord, you're reminding me. Your dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away. Your kingdom is the one which shall never be destroyed. Amen and amen. Understand this. Understand this. The Bible explains the Bible. Verse 13, Jesus would be clothed with a garment. At the cross, Jesus was stripped of His garments and humiliated before the crowds, but here He is clothed in a garment down to His feet. And we're also told in chapter in verses 12 and 13 about the seven lampstands. And, and we're told about seven stars also. Check this out. Talk about the Bible interpreting the Bible. Verse 20, look at it. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands? Jesus tells us what they are. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The Bible will interpret the Bible. People read those seven lampstands and seven stars they think they scratch their head and they go, well, I think it means this and I think it means that. And I saw this guy on TV that says it means all these crazy things. So it's not that hard. We make it, listen, what did I say earlier? If you get weird on the book, this book is going to get weird on you, right? So, so it, it, it will, it, you follow it and it makes it much simpler. Now check this out, you ready? This is so cool, verse 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. You want to know what this is? This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Back to whoever said yeah earlier. What did I tell you? We got a, we got a better yeah even coming. Listen, someone offers us a candy bar and we say thanks. That's awesome. I got this new word I use because I only have three adjectives. Awesome and I can't remember the other two. So now I even use awesomeness. Um, <laughs> Listen, it, that, that candy bar is not awesome. It's a tasty treat that's going to be gone in short order, right? Jesus is awesome. Uh, Jesus is awesome. We so overuse that word awesome. And I'm, I may be the worst I know at it, too. So I started telling people that this is superb because that works better. But John says, man, I, I, I fell at his feet. John was his closest earthly friend, but Jesus is awesome. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. In all this, what are we to do? Fear not. He tells him he fell at his feet. And then he put his hand, his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. Fear not. Understand this, all right? You don't get weird on this book. This book won't get weird on you. You get weird on the book, the book is going to get weird on you. Because you're going to see some crazy stuff in the weeks that are ahead. So understand this. Jesus said, John's already seen this stuff. Wow! He's afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Get, get this into your head. Feed your fears and your faith will starve. Feed your faith and your fears will starve. You and I 
between now and the rapture of the church are going to see some things that will happen in this world that are going to cause you to be a little bit on the fearful side. Wouldn't it be great if faith were your default instead of fear? Oh, yeah. Listen, when, listen I, I'm telling you right now, you get a handle on this book, faith will become your default. And you won't be swung to the left and swung to the right with your emotions and your fears. Remember last week, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who hears, who reads, who hears and keeps the words of this book. Why? Right there. Fear not. Feed your faith and your fears will starve. I talk to people all the time now, way more than ever, um, and you do too. Some of you may be in that category that are so afraid about what is going on in this world. And I am telling you right now, things are not falling apart, they are falling into place. You listen to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not be afraid. We will see do not be afraid so many times as we go through this book because there are things that could cause a person to be afraid. Who's on the throne? Jesus. Who's on the throne? That's, that's a little bit better. And Jesus is awesome. Verse 17, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am He, verse 18, who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. For how long? <coughs> forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. That's why I trust in Jesus. Verse 19, Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The things that you have seen. Chapter 1, right? He's writing them. He's going, wow, Jesus is awesome. This is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The things which are, it's everything that happened from chapter 2 in the first century. All the way through until the rapture of the church. The things that are. Everything is still going exactly as God had planned. Chapters 2 and 3, the things that are. Chapters 4 on through the end of the book of Revelation are the things which will take place after this is done. Wow! We're going to go to heaven. More than once in the book of Revelation, we will see some things that will be frightening. But don't be afraid. Humanity is under existential threat from several directions. But imagine again living with faith as your default and not fear as your default. But understand this most importantly. As humanity is under existential threat from several directions, more to the point, we are all under an immediate existential threat. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 tells us, it is appointed to man once to die, and after that, face the judgment. Wow. Understand this. More than anything, Jesus is your deliverer. In Him is your hope. Alright? Understand this also. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, understand Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. God did not send His Son into this world to condemn you, but that through Him you would be forgiven. It is religion that condemns. It's the enemy that condemns. But Christ has come 
to save us from our sins. Amen? He is our deliverer. You do not need to be afraid. Jesus loves you. Father, we thank you for your word.